And I want to share one, I think, tangible way to kind of play this out. I remember when I was engaged to the wrong person, I would imagine my wedding day, I'd imagine walking down the aisle and what would I feel like walking down with that? What would I feel seeing my groom at the end of that aisle? And I remember just always being like, it just didn't feel right. It just didn't feel right. And that was hard to even imagine that, Ellie. I didn't even want to imagine that because that's going to derail my plan. My plan is to have this beautiful wedding and I'm ready to get married and I want to be a mommy and this guy's good and he loves me and it will be good enough. And I had to decide, is good enough good enough? Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen anderson Abril here with my co-host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth. To help us thrive in love and life. It is engagement season. I would imagine, Elliot, that over Christmas, New Year's, we've got Valentine's just around the corner. Those are really typical times that people pop the question. And we thought it would be a really solid start for the new year to delve into premarital counseling content that you are so well-versed in, having come up with your own curriculum, having worked for over 30 years with couples. And... We got to take maybe just a step back, though, because I think some of the folks who come to the program from your work may not know that I have a very dicey history with the engagement topic. And so I thought it'd be important as we delve into this. It is so foundational, as obviously you're so committed to and so passionate about. We have to have that solid premarital work in place to lay that foundation for that healthy, strong, fulfilling, exciting, rewarding marriage. And of course, with the hype around weddings, not marriage, but weddings, we see a lot of people get real enthusiastic about all the plans and all the flowers and the extravaganza, which is great. It is wonderful to be excited about all those things. But sometimes I think the actual preparing the foundation for the marriage that is to come can get kicked to the curb and because the wedding takes front and center. Yeah, I think the latest research is it's like 35,000 oh, is the average amount of money spent on a wedding, average, because we know it can go way higher and then they can be way cheaper. But the average amount of time or money spent in premarital instruction or counsel is under a thousand. So if you just look at that ratio itself, yeah. it's greatly skewed. I'm not saying we should charge people 35 grand for premarital instruction, <laughs> although that might be nice. And you might enjoy that if you could, she if might. You could charge and that. I, and I do have, as is common, every, you know, October, November, I start to get those emails or calls. Yeah. And so I'm brand new with four couples heading into marriage season next year. My first wedding will be in April, then a couple in June, and then one in August at the moment. I don't do a whole lot more than four or five couples per season, because that's pretty challenging as it is. But you're right, I am fresh in this and had just done three first sessions with couples over the holidays. We usually, that's a good time to start when I have a little bit more time and they have some more time. And because the holidays bring up so many issues with the extended families and the in-laws to be, as we've discussed- It's a good time to prep. Yeah, as we discussed extensively in our series around family relationships and the holidays. So if anyone had missed that, that's like the last six episodes. So I hope that's helpful for you. And it certainly could be, even though we're past the, the heavy-duty holiday season, it certainly could be a nice way to bring up some of those extended family and family of origin dynamics as a couple starts to prepare. What is that going to look like for us now presenting ourselves as a couple to our families of origin? And as we've said a couple times on the episodes over the last year, more couples are choosing pre-engagement counsel or instruction 
to kind of determine, we think we have what it takes to get married. We want to walk through this together before we actually ask and get the date set and everything else. So that is a great way to do it. I would recommend that as a preface or a uh, prefatory to actually getting engaged, setting the venue up, spending all the money and then coming and say, you know what? I'm not sure we should get married. Mm. So over Christmas, I was talking with an in-law about various topics and healthcare came up. I mentioned how sad it is that so many of us have completely lost faith in our medical system. She looked a little confused and said, don't you trust your doctor? And I replied, I don't really have a doctor and no, I wouldn't trust him if I did. So as you all know, Elliot and I had a very anti-establishment father, college professor who questioned everything, and he taught us to do the same. And he was especially skeptical of the symbiotic relationship between big pharma and physicians. And now, after COVID, whatever shred of trust I may have still had is long gone. I'm not alone. In fact, 40% of Americans say they would avoid a doctor or a hospital unless they needed acute care for a catastrophic emergency. But what are we going to do if we get sick? Where can we turn? Thankfully, courageous, dissident doctors remain committed to their Hippocratic oath in the midst of the censorship and unconstitutional mRNA mandates of the last several years. They've come together to form The Wellness Company to create a much-needed parallel healthcare system. Our dad always told Elliot and me to take charge. And one way we can take charge of our health is with the Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit. It comes with eight potentially life-saving medications to get us through whatever the next thing is that gets thrown our way. You'll have antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics to help keep you and your family safe. The medical emergency kit includes a comprehensive guidebook so you never have to guess how much to take or when to take it. To get your medical emergency kit, go to twc.health/lovelife and use code lovelife to save 15% at checkout. That's twc.health/lovelife and use code lovelife all one word for 15% off. Well, that leads me to a little personal <laughs> disclosure right. that I thought would be worth sharing because if I'd had the availability of some pre-engagement counseling, and I'm sure that was out there, but I just wasn't, it wasn't on my radar at that time, it, I could have prevented what happened to me. And I just want to share a little bit because I thought as we set up the series, and I'd like to title this episode, we're engaged, exclamation point. We're so excited. Also... Should we actually be getting married? <laughs> because that was my story. I had met a guy on my 30th birthday, which those milestone birthdays when you're single can seem a little bit like, oh, wait, my friends are already on baby number two and I still don't have the love of my life yet. And met a guy on my 30th birthday, a very good, good human. I mean, obviously you knew him very well. Solid citizen, loved me to pieces. I always argue that it's sometimes harder to know that it's not the right fit when this is a really quality human. Absolutely. It's easy to know that that's a wrong fit when he's abusive to you emotionally or physically, of course. But when this is a quality person and another quality person thinking it's a fit, it can be very difficult. And so just trying to give the cliff notes of this story, I dated him for three years and then accepted a proposal and was engaged for over a year. And then two months before the wedding, those cold feet, those jitters, 
finally revealed themselves to be much more than just cold feet and jitters. And I had to finally wake up to the lie I'd been telling myself, not because I wanted to lie to myself or to anyone else or to his family or to him, but because I had these other reasons for wanting to be married. Now I'm 34 and it's time and the clock is ticking. And those are all understandable and reasonable. But I had to finally basically come clean with myself and be true to myself and realize that the loving thing to do at this point was not to walk down an aisle, say vows in a church before God and everyone who loves us that I couldn't uphold. Vows that I didn't Mm -hmm. honestly in my heart of hearts mean. And again, bringing it back to our conversation in the next couple of weeks, I was looking like I think many brides who are a little uncertain, like, are these just the typical jitters or are my feet figuratively frozen because I am committed to a person now and on this trajectory to get married and I shouldn't be not with this person. And I remember looking, going to Barnes and Noble, looking for books, and there were tons of books about how to plan the perfect wedding and how to get your honeymoon together and all the, again, like we said earlier about the wedding and not letting me know as a a confused bride is help me sort out if this is really the man for me. So I thought before we even get into your content to support couples who are engaged, we better ask that preliminary question because again, podcasts were, if they were a thing, they weren't on my radar at the time. But if I'd found in my state as an engaged woman now for over a year and not a baby, also a psychologist. So I had at least a decent amount of ability to self-reflect. If I'd found an episode and been able to listen to it in that state, I wonder if it would be giving me that, that confidence and that nudge to be able to extricate myself from what was the wrong situation earlier and saved, I mean, everyone was going to be heartbroken anyway, me included, but maybe been able to save some of the drama. Absolutely. And I could also shift a little perspective here and say that you could have married him and been okay, but it wouldn't have been good and wouldn't have been right. And that's what a lot of people do when they compromise or concede. And so, because he was a quality guy and would have provided well and taken care of you well in that regard, you guys could have been okay but love and life is not about being okay in marriage. We're about thriving in marriage and wanting a great marriage. And that's what God's word says also, to have greatness. It's supposed to be a representation of Christ in the church. So it's meant to be something well beyond, ah, we're okay together. It's all right. I'll just compromise these values, these standards, this inner inner peace of my heart that's just not fulfilled and doesn't seem to be gravitated in the way that's appropriate. So I think you're exactly right. It's a lot harder when the two people considering it or even planning the marriage are really good people and it can in a functional way work. But let me tell you from the crisis marriage perspective, those are the kind of couples I tend to see 15, 20, 25 years in where it's functioning, but there ain't nothing there. The the depth of soul, the heart to heart, spirit to spirit is just completely missing. Even if functionality and transactions are fine, there's no abuse, there's no trauma, there's no cheating, there's no drugs and any of that stuff. So I think that is one of those variables that's very difficult. I think it's really hard, obviously, having lived it. And that's why I wanted to share my personal story for anyone who's out there going, well, there's nothing here that's so glaring. There's no red flag just waving on paper. Or Angie or me or Warren or someone would have stepped in. We're not the kind of family just to let you choose something that was going to be so dreadful. No no one in the family system would have done it. In fact, in an earlier state... That had happened. People had stepped in and tried to insert themselves in your dating life, and that hadn't been good either. And that marriage would have worked. 
It's just a matter of what was best, what was going to be right. And I think we can all have that in our scenario. So one of those questions about, is this person the right person for me? That's a hard one to answer sometimes. And I don't tend to challenge couples up front with yeah. that because the majority of the time when people come to me for engagement counseling, premarital counseling, they already have it all in stone. Yeah. I mean, it is set. Date, venue, caterer, DJ, all of it. So for me to start out with, let's make sure you guys are actually going to be married or should be married is a terrible way to do it. But in the back of my mind, I'm analyzing and watching very carefully, listening and trying to make sure I'm poking into the areas that I know need substantial work or there's going to be lifelong commitment issues. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask you. And of course, we've talked about this like casually over the years, but I wanted to, as far as providing this discussion for the podcast, because I think my background and we're all we, those imprints of what we've experienced frames the way that we see things. So I'm the type of person now when someone's like, oh, they broke up. I'm like, good. <laughs> and I've been through so many breakups and they're devastating. So I'm not even trying to minimize the pain involved. But to no. me, when a breakup happens, it means the realization of that truth that we are not the right fit. And the, the sooner we get away from what's not right for us, the sooner we're available to what is right for us. So even in the context of being a premarital counselor, I think I would probably have a little bit more of a sitting back, like, are you two really supposed to be together in the first place? So I respect where you are. I think if I were in your shoes, I'd be maybe, maybe not even overtly or trying to consciously, but just maybe trying to poke some holes. Like, is this, because my my goal for premarital, if I were in your shoes right now, my goal would be not to worry about the budget issues, which are important, not to worry about the role with our extended family, which is obviously extremely important, not to figure out the household roles, which I think a lot of those little surfacey things are usually the focus of in many premarital. I wouldn't say yours, obviously, I've not had it, but I, I wouldn't say that. It's in there. It's, mm -hmm. it's important, but my underlying goal and motivation would be this premarital counseling needs to determine if you actually should be getting married in the first place. Because Elliot, and here's the other follow-up question. When I see couples in crisis, right away, my first thought is, were you ever supposed to get married in the first place? If your marriage is so darn hard, was it the wrong fit from the jump? Maybe, but it's really hard retroactively <laughs> to go back and figure that and out. And maybe not useful anyway, <laughs> once yeah. they're married. Not likely too useful, at least an initial presentation. If you get to that factor later, sometimes that's part of the grieving in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and I just had a, a woman a couple of weeks ago who acknowledged that the first of the inappropriate commu verbal communication happened really early. And that pattern has not stopped. And so... In dating even. Oh yeah, very early in even the dating process. And so there's a certain level, like we talked about, sometimes we just concede or accept things... And it's not that the person is necessarily wrong, but the systemic and the style and the processing gets off on a terrible foot. And you cement that in for a decade or more. It is really difficult just to shift it. Change the dynamic. And, change and just the dance. Turn it. Absolutely. Especially when the dance got all started that way and solidified in that movement. So I'm not saying I don't think the same things you're saying in the back of my head and my heart, especially because I do crisis work and premarital work. So I'm on both extremes. But it's just how you deliver it, how you how you bring it forward. I, I tell couples right away early in the premarital, you have to recognize this marriage cannot last if you choose it not to. 
just like I tell couples coming in to consider divorce, just say, you know, divorce is an option. Right. You wouldn't be here if you're not considering. Right. And so let's not pretend it is, but so is recovery. And so trying to help couples understand if love was enough, there wouldn't be any divorces. Because I've never married any couple that didn't truly love each other. Even when a lie of identity or a lie of circumstances comes flying out later, you know, years later, and they're like, wow, that was, didn't see that coming. Mm -hmm. You know, someone completely under false pretense, the entire thing. But love is still always there. Mm -hmm. And many, most of the crisis couples that have been married 10, 15, 20 years, they're not coming in the office saying, I don't love them anymore. In a weird way, they're saying, I love them so much, but I'm so frustrated, so angry, so disappointed, I just can't move forward. So again, it's just that context of no one's ever asked me and pre-engagement work, help us get divorced. But I try to tell them, I want to help you not get divorced because divorce will be an inevitable outcome if we don't address these particular issues that are now really obvious to me after spending a couple hours together. Right. So that's getting to that truth point mm -hmm. you're talking about early enough. Because yeah, there is times... And I've told you about some of these. And so you're like, oh my goodness. You know, and after the first session, I'm like, wow, there is some significant issues here. And that's when I'll maybe in session two say, hey, just by the way, as I've been evaluating and assessing, we're probably going to want to plan on three or four or five extra ones, not just going to the main six of the curriculum, just because I see some things here that are going to be beneficial. And, and just try to set that table very early rather than getting to session number six, two weeks before the wedding and say, eh, by the way, I think we need like three crisis ones quick before, you know, the rehearsal dinner or something. And so trying to lay that expectation out. And the most sessions I've had with a couple, primarily was 18. So they tripled the value. And that included a postponement of the actual wedding date in order to get those things solidified. And I report they're happily married, doing great. And their oldest daughter is now in high school. So they're, they, it was the right thing to do. They just slowed it down and said, hey, we really need to walk through a couple of these issues. And that was their call. I was hinting at the possibility, but they, they were wise enough to make the call themselves. And they have to. I mean, the, the therapy, the counseling is always needing to be generated by the client and based on their goals and their dreams and their expectations and their desires as a couple. In good Rogerian philosophy, yes. As a crisis therapist, not always. <laughs> but oh, yes, yeah. I totally agree. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I don't mean to say that there should never be direction. Yeah, because we definitely don't stand by that. At the same time, if you're directing things. All of it. Like a director in a movie and feeding them lines, so to speak, there, where's yeah. the buy-in on their part? Where's the ownership? Yeah, they'll be dependent on me to keep their marriage together, right. not themselves and the Lord. Right. So yeah, it was just, you said it in such a grandiose way. I had to just say there is variables there that I knew you believed in, of oh, course. I'm glad you did, because it can get confusing. And as you've talked yeah. about, you have had couples who come to you or individuals who are happy that you take a more directive, didactic approach, as opposed to just being a mirror, which I think is also valuable. But anyway, that's for another conversation. Yeah, it can be both. If you're interested in processing further as you align your mind, body, and spirit, we're here for you. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Us tab. There you can book individual or couples sessions. Or sign up for one of our support groups. Purchase one session or a multiple session package. We'd love to work with you. Sign up at loveandlifemedia.com. Let's, Elliot, in this episode, let's talk about, because I, again, I'm trying to think about myself years ago, stumbling upon an episode like this and desperately, I mean, at that point, I was miserable. I was so confused. 
like we said, I couldn't figure, I couldn't pinpoint one specific reason that this wasn't right, but my everything within me, my gut was telling me this isn't right. But then the fear came in. Well, Karen, what if mm-hmm. no one else ever proposes marriage to you? You're 34. Yeah. What if you never get to be a mother? What if you never have, what if you never find the love of your life? What if what doesn't feel right is because you're still stuck in like some middle school notion of what it means to feel. Scared of commitment, scared of intimacy, all those things. Yep, absolutely. There's so much self-doubt at work. So I thought it might be useful for us to talk about maybe three tangible things that you can kind of hang your hat on. Like if, if you're in this state and maybe you even had that beautiful proposal and the ring is really pretty <laughs> and you started by the bridal magazines and everyone's excited and you're going, wow, some of this feels so thrilling and some of this feels just not right. I think that's number one right away. Yes. Incongruence. The incongruence between everything that's happening towards the wedding and what's happening in your own soul. So some natural fear heading into marriage is appropriate. It's like fear of the Lord. It's a reverence. This is a big deal. Marriage is a big deal. It's difficult. We know that by the statistics, how how rare it is for what marriage is to make it, even more rare for marriage is to be great. So some self-doubt and some fear is, is fine. But the incongruence you're talking about, the, the ring's great, the, the man or woman's great, but something in my soul is not at peace. I don't get excited thinking about these next steps. They all feel perfunctuary and even challenging. It feels like I'm having to fake something, though I don't know what it is. Right. So those kind of, I think, incongruence of heart, mind, soul, and spirit, the very essence of our, our show, if that's off, because it doesn't mean, again, that there won't be some fear, some nervousness, especially if you have a background of broken family, no good marriage models for you, all those kind of things. That's all warranted, but there's a difference between Oh, I'm super excited and just a little nervous, and I'm not super excited, and I'm profoundly anxious. That's different than excited and nervous. Mm-hmm. And again, when you have these questions like, I don't know what's wrong, that's definitely worthy of conversations with someone who can really dive in with you. Often it's the other way, right? When the, when the couple connection is so strong and so good, sometimes you'll hear a couple say it, and it was in one of the shows I was watching with Angie last night, where the one woman's telling the other woman, the one woman's marriage is in trouble, the other woman's is doing great. And she's like, I can't even explain to you why it's so good, it just is. Mm. And there's truth in that side Mm -hmm. too, where you can't necessarily explain why this symbiosis is so strong. Of course, that's when people like you and I would get in there and get all the family order and system and personality temperament, birth order, love languages, we would be able to dissect it likely and say, oh, these really values really align. Mm. And now the oppositional elements of the personality temperament just fit. So I think just like there's that side, you got to be careful when the other side's there. For sure. And again, if someone has had maybe lots of broken marriages in their family of origin, they may not trust that incongruence. Like they might not trust, they might think, well, I just come from very dysfunctional, messy background. So how would I know what's good and what's not? And then doubt their own intuition doubt their gut. And I want to share one, I think, tangible way to kind of play this out. I remember when I was engaged to the wrong person, I would imagine my wedding day, I'd imagine walking down the aisle and what would I feel like walking down with that? What would I feel Mm -hmm. seeing my groom at the end of that aisle? And I remember just always being like, it just didn't feel right. It just didn't feel right. And that was hard to even imagine that, Ellie. I didn't even want to imagine Mm -hmm. that because that's going to derail my plan. (laughs) My plan is to have this beautiful wedding and I'm ready to get married and I want to be a mommy and this guy's good and he loves me and it will be good enough. And I had to decide, is good enough good enough? Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that. And then I got to the point, and of course, being a Christian, this is where it really derailed for me, was I I imagined saying vows. Vows Mm -hmm. in a church. Yeah. 
vows. That, that's a promise. And that is in sickness and wellness. And what if he he made good money? That was nice that we would have a very comfortable life, bought me a beautiful townhome mm-hmm. in the city. What if he didn't make any money? What if we're scrambling and I have to go back to waiting tables or would it be enough then? I started and trying to just challenge myself. Like, Karen, you got to be serious about this. And I remember thinking, I can't say these vows and mean them. And then that is a lie before God. Yeah, and I, I would like to challenge you that I think you could have said them. I know you say that, and, but I just... It and been meant a, them. No, it wouldn't have, Ellie. I would have lied. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Here's why. I, you wouldn't have lied. You did love him as well. I did love him. That, that's not the issue. And the vows would not have made you say, I'm in love with him, and these are the reasons I'm in love with him. The vows don't do that. Now, people write their own gushy vows now that aren't really vows. They make me very irritated. <laughs> it's like this just poetic love story. It has nothing to do with vows. The vows are the promise, that's the covenant right. of marriage. It's under God's banner. So I appreciate what you're saying, because I'm not trying to say you're wrong. I'm just saying you knew that to say those vows, you would not break them. You knew no way are you going to stand before God and stand before mom and dad and our tradition of our family. And no way are you going to say those vows and break them, but you were going to concede. You were going to compromise. You were going to be in a marriage that wasn't right, even though it wasn't wrong. That's that variable that's so difficult. It was wrong for you. Right. But in general, you would have stayed by his side. You would have done it, but a part of you would have died. You said it so eloquently of the marriage that wasn't right, but wasn't wrong. That's the hardest. Exactly. I wish I'd come up with that <laughs> when I was writing about this more. I'm, I'm, put it in the put it in the edit of the book. But what I wanted to give was some tangible examples and invite people who might be in the situation I was in to do that hypothetical, to think about it, and then mm-hmm. be be still and be pay attention to what your gut is telling you as you hypothetically imagine. And I want to give three examples from friends of mine who did not call off their wedding. And when I did, they told me, you were so brave and you're so courageous. I felt like a train wreck. I did not feel brave or courageous. Sure, yeah. I felt like someone who'd been in the wrong relationship for way too long and for being a psychologist and someone who should have been more self-aware. I heaped a lot of shame on myself at that point in time. Yeah. But one one woman was engaged and started having massive panic attacks. And that's one of my besties. Another one of my besties, she says she remembers walking down the aisle, crying, not tears of joy, crying, mm-hmm. saying to herself over and over on her father's arm, I just hope this works out. I just hope this works out. I just hope this works out. Okay, that's her mantra on her wedding day. Also, red flag. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is our girl Claire, who has vivid memories of her first marriage, coming into the narthex, getting ready to walk down the aisle with her father. And the clearest thought in her mind is, I just wish dad would look at me and say, hey, Claire, we don't have to walk down that aisle. There's a limo right back there. We can hop in and you and I can just get out of here. That is what was going through her mind. Yeah. So if if any of those girls had been able to maybe take this advice slash invitation to play that out hypothetically before the day of, maybe yeah, that would have been hard. a tool to help them pull back and pull out. Yeah. And are you saying all three of those marriages then divorced? Yes. I assume that just so the listeners knew. Yeah. I'm sorry if I didn't clarify that. Yep. No, it's okay. Yeah. I assume that as well. But I have worked with couples where those realities were there and they did make it. So I'm not trying to, I just don't want couples to think if you marry, quote unquote, the wrong person, which I really hate that phrase, yeah. but if you get into one of those, it doesn't mean it's going to be a divorce, yeah. but you've likely created a way harder scenario to build that strong foundation that needs to be there and should be present the entire way. No, and I think that's why it's good that we're both having this conversation because I'm going to definitely yeah. err on the one side. <laughs> I'll be yeah. like, get out. If it doesn't feel right, get going. And you're going to say, okay, let's be a little more nuanced. Let's be a little bit more thoughtful. And also, should you recognize at some point, I don't know, 
hey, you're here, you made those vows, and there's a lot of hope and belief for a happy and thriving, excited marriage. Yeah, and I'm really honest with couples in pre-engagement or premarital. Here's what I'm evaluating, here's what I'm seeing, here's what I'm assessing. And for many couples, I've, I say it at least probably to one of the four or five I marry every year, I'll say this because it's truth. Your particular balance together, your particular value assessment, personality and temperament, all those things wrapped up together means you guys are gonna have to work harder. Yours is not gonna be simple and easy. And for some folks that helps them. Yeah. They are excited by that in some regard. Yeah. I, I don't mind that kind of spirit as right. well. I like, that, I, I like that Angie and I have to work hard to make our marriage great. I don't think I'd like it if it was super easy and that's stupid on my end, it's just reality. But for other people, that's not good, right? So yeah. if I tell that to people and I see someone go ashen, then I'm gonna gently, let's talk about that now. I just gave you a pretty difficult yeah. assessment based on my experience yeah. and the crisis work I do. What do you guys think? And let's walk through it. And sometimes it's a nice piece of reflection and I gotta walk through this. And sometimes uh, I'm thinking of a couple I married last year, a year and a half ago, that each of them then had a separate session with me individually to walk through their part of it. I wanna own my own part. I'm a little sensitive to hear that in front of my and fiance. Can we walk through with that and then come back together? And we did that. That slowed down and brought more sessions, but they're doing great too. But it's a brand, now they had a whole brand new level of authenticity and honesty. No, again, I think this is a really, we come at, at this topic from different perspectives and different experiences. And so I think it's, it's valuable. So our first point of consideration, if someone is feeling uncertain, they're engaged or getting real close to getting engaged and feeling uncertain, we would say that incongruence that you're feeling, what is feeling amiss, sit with that. Maybe do those hypotheticals I talked about and be honest with your, try very hard to be honest. So because Elliot and I had so much to say about this topic, we decided to split up this episode. We'll continue next week with part two, where we share additional points to consider if you're engaged, but as I was, not sure you really should be. Thank you as always for listening and for sharing a portion of your day with us. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.